You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Well, good evening, church. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. For those who are visiting or new with us tonight, my name is Josiah, and I'm our pastor of families and students here at Redeeming Life Church. I want to remind our parents that we do have some coloring sheets outside in the lobby here for anyone who's got some littles, littles with them. And then we've also got some Bible study sheets for our elementary kids and teenagers. If you're using one of the church Bibles underneath your seat, we're going to be on page 962. And then as always, all the scripture verses are on version as well if you're using the version app. This Good Friday, tonight, we are going to examine Christ's final moments on the cross on the day that he was crucified. It is my hope that we see how through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, God's people have been redeemed from their sins and rescued out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So I'd like to look tonight at John, I said six, but John 19. So go a couple pages forward. John 19, we're going to look at, we're going to look at six later, so keep your thumb there. But John 19, verses 28 through 30, we're going to look at these final moments of Jesus' life here on earth. John 19, starting in verse 28. It says, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Will you bow your heads one more time with me as we spend some time in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to gather together to reflect on the sacrifice that you made on the cross to redeem us from our sins and to rescue us from darkness. Lord, tonight as we sit under the preached word, I pray, Lord, first that I would handle your word rightly. I would handle the text rightly, Lord, and open our minds and ears to hear your voice. Many of us are familiar with the Easter story, but Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us tonight through your word, Lord, that we might leave here changed, not because of anything that I said, but because of who you are and the redeeming work that you're doing in the lives of each and every one of us. It's in your holy and precious name, Lord, I pray. Amen. It is finished it is finished these are three of the most famous words in all of scripture we recite these words every easter we read these words on good friday it is finished in greek it's one word which i'm about to mispronounce so if you know greek i apologize but i'm going to go for te tell estelai to tell estelai you can have Google tell you. I spent all day practicing. You can ask Pastor Brian. Thank God in the English it's three words. But in Greek it's one word, which basically means to bring to a close or to fulfill. To put it another way, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Jesus accomplished his mission. He finished well. And he did everything that he said he was going to do. And he did everything that he came here to do. Everything that God the Father required of him had been completed. Mission accomplished. 
Last Sunday, Pastor Brian spoke on the importance of finishing well. For the Christian, he reminded us that it doesn't matter where we start if we never make it across the finish line. He reminded us of the importance of ending the race, of finishing it. Christian, it is vital that you cross the finish line and successfully complete your Christian journey before the clock runs out. Pastor Brian already shared that last night he and I got to spend some time. I got to sit with a 90-year-old man as he had just lost his best friend. The person he had spent almost 70 years with And in a moment that was full of sorrow and tears and sadness, there was joy. There was laughter as he got to share about the love of his life, about his best friend and how she loved Jesus and how she loved Christ and how she cared for his bride and all the things that she did for the Lord while she was here. It's important that we finish well. And that is exactly what we see Christ doing as he hung on Calvary's cross. He crossed the finish line and he completed his mission. It wouldn't have mattered who we claimed to be at the beginning had it not been revealed at the very end that he was and he is, in fact, the Son of God. Many people claim to be prophets of God, but in the end, it simply is not true. Sooner or later, their lives fall apart and their deception is revealed by the truth. This is not the case with Jesus, though. We know from Scripture that Christ is, in fact, who he says he is. He did what he said he would do, and he accomplished his mission. But what was Jesus' mission? What was it that he set out to achieve? In Jesus' final moments here, as he breathed his last breath on the cross, what work was it that he reflected on and he saw as being accomplished and completed. The main thing that I hope we see from God's word tonight is that Christ alone paid the price to redeem God's people from their sins. Christ has done the work, and there is nothing more that needs to be done to finish our redemption. Jesus accomplished his mission. He did the work. He completed the tasks that were before him. Now that being said, there are so many things that Jesus accomplished during his lifetime. So much so that John tells us even the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written about it. If we were to sit here tonight and read the entire book of John, we would only get a taste of what Christ accomplished here on earth. Now even so, I would encourage you, read the book of John. Sit down and read it. You can read the whole book of John in less time than it takes to watch a true crime drama. (laughs) There are many things that Jesus accomplished here on earth, but tonight I want to highlight three of them. The first thing that Jesus did was he fulfilled Scripture. In our text tonight, we see in the opening verse of our main pericope, in John 19, 28, we find that Jesus knew everything was finished and that Scripture might be fulfilled what scriptures did christ fulfill what work did he finish jesus fulfilled scripture he fulfilled the law christ's death on the cross fulfilled all of scripture not only that but his life his death and his resurrection fulfilled god's law 
Now, despite what you might see on television or what you might hear preached in our community, Jesus is not the law itself. But he did come to fulfill the law. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4 say, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus is not the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law. As a family, we've recently started reading through the biggest story, Storybook Bible. Each week we have been reading about the many sacrifices and burnt offerings that the Israelites were required to make to God each year because of the sin that consumed their lives. If you've never read the Biggest Storybook Bible, I highly recommend it. It's covered in pictures that really help me understand the scriptures better. <laughs> I'm, you're going to love it. But whenever I read my Bible or I read the Biggest Storybook Bible with my family, I'm always amazed at the massive, massive amount of work that the Israelites had to accomplish to adhere to God's laws. And every time I find myself thanking the Lord that he sent Christ into the world to fulfill the law so that we don't have to sacrifice animals to God anymore. We don't have to shed the blood of bulls or lambs in an effort to atone for our own sins and unrighteousness. Mostly I'm thankful because I don't even know where to buy sheep these days. Though I'm 100% positive that Crystal would figure it out if our HOA let us have farm animals. I'm also thankful for Christ's sacrifice on the cross because deep down, I know there's absolutely no amount of work, no amount of sacrifice that I could possibly do to atone for the terrible sins that I've committed against a holy and a righteous God. Hebrews 11 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the better sacrifice. Where Adam failed, Christ was perfective. Where the Israelites spent their entire lives trying to accomplish, Christ was able to do in a single sacrificial lifetime. Lived out according to the will of God the Father. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life that none of us could ever come close to achieving. So the question we have to ask ourselves then is, since Christ was able to accomplish in one lifetime the redemptive work necessary to pay the price of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why are we constantly going back behind his perfect work and trying to add on top of it our own works and our own goodness? Rather than standing on God's promises and trusting that his salvific work on the cross is enough, we put our faith and our trust in our own works and our own good deeds Half the time, I feel like many of us volunteer at a local food bank, or we lead a fellowship group, or we join an organization because we want to feel good about what we're doing. Look at me, Lord. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look how great I am, Father. Aren't I amazing? Are we amazing, though? Is that what makes us better? 
Is that what redeems us? Our works? Of course not. In fact, to come to Christ with our own works or our own goodness is really an insult to God. Instead, we must come to Jesus empty-handed, just like the thief on the cross did. Nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Volunteering at a food bank or leading a fellowship group or helping a nonprofit organization, these are all great things. And we should do these things or things like that. But if we do, it shouldn't be because we're serving out of an overflow of wanting to make ourselves better. It should be because we love others. It should be because Christ lives in us and his spirit dwells inside of us. Otherwise, deep down, we're really serving others because it'll, we think it'll help us feel better about ourselves. We're in a futile attempt to redeem ourselves or convince ourselves that we're holier than we actually are. Who are you serving today? Man or God? Well, you reflect on who it is that you're truly serving or on whether you're trying to keep the law by your own works and your deeds. I want to examine one other thing that Christ did to accomplish his mission here on earth. The second thing I want you to see is that Jesus did the will of the Father. Jesus did the will of the Father. Shortly before being hung on a cross, Jesus is found praying to God the Father. Just two chapters earlier, in John chapter 17, we find Jesus talking with God the Father about his final moments here on earth. Jesus is praying to the Father about the importance of completing his mission and fulfilling God's will here on earth. But what was the will of the Father? What was God's will for Jesus while he was here? In John chapter 6, if your thumb's still there, Jesus shares with his disciples and reveals to us what God's will for Jesus' mission here on earth was. Look at John 6.36 with me. John 6.36, Jesus is talking. And he says, But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, here it is. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What was the will of God the Father? That Jesus would redeem God's people and rescue them from their sins. Christ alone paid the price to redeem us from our sins and rescue us out of darkness. Jesus did the work. We've seen through these first two examples that Jesus did the work. He fulfilled the scripture, and he accomplished the will of God the Father. So once again, I have to ask, if Jesus did the work, why do we struggle so much? Why do we wrestle with God? Why are we constantly struggling to determine God's will for our lives? Jesus faithfully obeyed the will of God the Father. 
As a result, if we, as Christians, follow Jesus and obey his commands, in turn, we will accomplish God's will in our own lives. But that doesn't always happen. Instead, we run around in circles trying to determine for ourselves what God's will is for our lives. What would you have me do, Lord? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say? We act as if God's will is a mystery to us, or as though his will is a secret code that we have to decipher. However, if we stop chasing our tails for just a moment, and we read God's word, I mean really read God's word, we would quickly see God's will for our lives is clearly laid out in Scripture. Believe in Jesus and be saved. Believe in Jesus and be saved. Just a few verses earlier in John 6, his disciples ask him, how could we perform the works of God? Jesus responds in chapter 6, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Period. Believe in Jesus. That is the will of God for our lives. That we believe in Jesus and surrender our lives to his lordship. Everything else that comes, that's just secondary. Before you ask God if he's calling you to take this job or that job, before you seek the Lord's direction on whether you should keep attending church here at Redeeming Life or find a different church to go to, before you pray about whether God wants you to stay here in Utah or, or maybe move somewhere else, before you ask any of these questions of God, you need to stop and ask yourself a question. Is Jesus the Lord of my life? Is God the number one priority in your home? Is the Lord first in your marriage? Is God primary in your day, in your time, your finances, your life? Ask yourself, does the music I listen to honor God? Do the shows and the movies I watch on TV, are they edifying? Do the books I read draw me closer to Jesus or, draw, or drive me further away? Do the words that come out of my mouth glorify God? Once you've got that settled, once you've established that, then you'll have clearer answers when you ask God about the job offer or where you should live. We should always be asking God about these things, but they are secondary to the first things. In John 17, Jesus is praying for himself. Father, may I glorify you. His prayer should be our prayer too. Lord, may my life glorify you. If you're sitting here tonight and your life does not glorify God, or you need to be rescued from the pit that you find yourself in and redeemed from your sin, I have good news for you. Jesus came to rescue and redeem God's people. We can't be saved by the law, but we can be saved through Christ. You don't need to look for some hidden will of God. Jesus did the will of God so that you can be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, talking about God, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus fulfilled the law and glorified God by obeying his will. 
He did both of these things to rescue and redeem God's people so we might become the righteousness of God. That's the third and final thing I want us to see this evening. Jesus rescued and redeemed God's people. Jesus rescued and redeemed God's people. Where Adam fell short, Christ was perfected. Christ is the new and better Adam. He lived the perfect sinless life that Adam could not live, that none of us could live. Christ died on the cross and was risen from the dead so that God's redemptive plan for his people would be accomplished. Christ was our Passover lamb. Oftentimes, when we take part in the Lord's Supper, like we're going to tonight, and we eat the bread together, you hear me say the words, this bread represents the body that was broken for you. However, as I was preparing for my message tonight, I realized that that's not true. I've been preaching heresy to you. Not really, but kind of. Christ's body wasn't broken for us because his body was never broken. Rather, his body is given for you. Let me explain. If you were to continue on and read the rest of John chapter 19, which you should, you would see that the Roman guards broke the legs of the men who were hung alongside Jesus. But when they came to Christ, they did not need to break his legs because he was already dead. So what? Why does that matter, you're thinking? Well, I'll tell you why that matters. It comes back to my first point this evening. Christ fulfilled Scripture. Christ is our Passover lamb. In our main pericope of Scripture tonight, we saw that Jesus was thirsty. So the guards took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a hyssop branch and gave it to Jesus. A hyssop branch. Why is that in there? Why does that matter? Every dot, every tittle of Scripture is in God's Word for a reason. Each word contained in Scripture has a purpose, which got me thinking. Where else in Scripture do we see a hyssop branch in relation to the redemption of God's people? Before you Google it, I've already found the answer. It's in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 12, we read about the first Passover. When God's Spirit passed through the land of Egypt to strike down every firstborn male. So, in order to escape God's judgment and ensure his wrath would pass over the Israelites, they took a cluster of hyssop. They dipped it in blood and they brushed it across the lintel and the doorposts of their home. Once again, blood paid the price and redeemed God's people. What a beautiful foreshadowing of what was to come. What a picture of God's redemption that would one day come through the blood sacrifice of his own son. Now, if you read about the Passover lambs that the Israelites used in the Old Testament, you'll find that their bones could not be broken. They had to be perfect, spotless lambs. Jesus' life was perfect and spotless. He is our Passover lamb. And his legs were not broken because they did not need to be. Whenever a criminal was hung on a cross, in order to speed up the process of dying, the guards would break the legs of the men on the cross so that 
They could not lift themselves up and help in their breathing. The guards, however, did not have to speed up the process of Christ's death on the cross. Because when the time came, he willingly gave up his spirit, breathed his last breath, and died for you. I'm hesitant to give up a good parking spot for somebody else. But Christ willingly gave up his life for us. So if Christ alone paid the price to save us, to redeem us, why do we constantly try to save others and redeem them from their sins? A better preacher than me once said that if salvation were 99.9% Jesus and 0.01% us, we'd all be damned. There is nothing that we could possibly do to add to or even take away from our salvation. Our redemption was 100% hung on that cross. It was Jesus who paid it all. If we are unable to save ourselves, what makes us think we could possibly save anyone else? Instead of guilting our friends and relatives into coming to church or dragging our unsaved kids up front to be baptized, we need to trust that the same redemptive work that Christ did in our hearts can also accomplish in the lives of those that we love and care for. There is no amount of good works that we could possibly do. There's no, not enough goodness that we could ever possibly come up with that would amount to anything in light of the redemptive work that Christ accomplished that day. You can't save others, but you can pray for your unsaved friends and family. You can invite your neighbors to church. You can read God's word together as a family and encourage your children to follow Christ and to be baptized. Above all, be faithful to point others to Christ and trust that he will do the work to rescue them from the darkness and bring them into the light. This Easter, I want to challenge you to examine your life. Reflect on the life that you're living and ask yourself this question. In light of everything that Christ has accomplished, am I living a life that glorifies the Lord? Am I living a life that reflects the righteousness of God? Christian, are you standing on the promises of God? Before Christ breathed his last breath on the cross, he uttered the words, It is finished. It is finished means we do not need to add anything to our salvation. We simply need to walk in it. Tonight I want to leave you with this quote by a 19th century Baptist preacher. He said, So completely was Jesus bent upon saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself. He created the tree upon which he was to die. And he nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail him to that accursed wood. Wow. Jesus paid it all. Christ accomplished his mission. He did what he set out to do. Christ alone paid the price to redeem us from our sins and has rescued us from the darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus paid it all. 
He paid the price of our sins on that cross so that we would not have to experience the horror of eternal darkness separated from God. It is finished. Mission accomplished. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for us so that we would not have to perish but might have eternal life. Lord, it is my prayer tonight that we would walk in our salvation, that we would remember for the Christian every day is Easter because every day we get to walk in your grace, in your love, and in your redemptive work. Lord, I pray that you would be number one in our lives. That we would go out to where we work, where we live, where we play. We would tell others about the redeeming work you're doing in our lives so that they might be saved. And above all, Lord, I pray that we would trust you. That we would quit trying to save others or rescue others. But that we would simply share the light that has come into the darkness to rescue us. So that others too might experience the redeeming work that comes from a relationship lived out for you. It's in your holy and precious name, Lord, I pray. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.